Welcome to Season 3 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 40 is entitled Letter of John to the Seven Churches, Part 4, Uses of Parallelism. The book of Revelation is unique above all of the scriptures. And if scriptures were evaluated by their impact, I suppose the book of Revelation would be the apex, which is coincidentally positioned as the last book of the Holy Bible. Perhaps that is fitting, though perhaps the book of Revelation was not chronologically the last book written. The end is the most emphatic position, and what greater book than the book of Revelation could have that honored spot? Where else in all of Holy Scripture do you get a summary history of the entire world from the beginning to the end? It also includes the pre-mortal existence of our spirits before coming to earth to gain a body. It includes the war in heaven, and it includes the final judgment. The scope alone sets it apart. If the book of Revelation is not true, then all of Christianity is false. It is a mere fable. It is very important that we understand the book of Revelation. In this podcast, however, I want to deal with the poetry of the book of Revelation, for it gives us an added tool in our analysis of that magnificent book. The book of Revelation is a single poem written in Hebrew style, which means it is distinguished by the use of multiple forms of parallelism, the dominating style of the Old Testament. For the sake of economy, I shall deal only with the first three chapters and the last four chapters of the book of Revelation. Even then, I must be very selective, or the length of this podcast would exceed your patience. It might anyway. In analyzing the book of Revelation, let me establish three simple rules of logic, which I shall use throughout. Rule 1. As with all good poetry, every image must be accounted for. Poetry is often made up of literal and figurative images. What makes the book of Revelation difficult, as well as the book of Isaiah, the book of Daniel, and some of the other poetry of the Old Testament, or the rich figurative images. Rule 2. We should not read any of the seven letters in isolation of the other letters. The number seven means wholeness or complete. The Church of Christ is not represented by just one letter, but by all seven combined. Therefore, in analyzing the images, we must look at the whole set of letters. In translation, all saints are entitled to all the blessings or promises contained in the seven letters. Rule 3. We must consider in our analysis the structure of the entire book of Revelation, for it is one long epic poem. In fact, it isn't just the seven letters listed in chapters 2 and 3 that are sent to the seven churches. The letters are just the cover letters to the churches, for the entire book of Revelation is sent to all seven churches. In chapter 1 we read, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice, as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Revelation 1, 10-11 of course, it is the Savior who is speaking, and when he says, What thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches, it refers to the entire book of Revelation. In other words, John was instructed to record the entire vision in a book, and send it to the seven churches. 
That only makes sense because all the chapters are related to the completeness of the poem and define the relations between the seven letters and the rest of the book of Revelation. The seven letters are the theme of the book. In other words, we cannot fully understand the seven letters without reading the entire book. Nor can we understand the entire book without reading the seven letters. What I shall do then is to show how the Revelator John tied the first three chapters with the last three chapters through parallelism. Parallelism serves many purposes. Here's a list of just some of its purposes. Parallelism emphasizes salient points. It shows close relationships among concepts. It expands the meaning of a concept. It satisfies the eight golden rules of writing. Unity, economy, clarity, emphasis, variety, coherence, concreteness, and correctness. It provides a structure to the poem making it both easier to read and easier to memorize. It allows predictability. In other words, one knows where to look for further explanation. It creates expectations. That also helps in evaluating different translations by seeing if the original structure is intact. It facilitates memorization enormously. Let me introduce my theme with a simple example. I shall combine the first verses of the first chapter of Revelation with the last verses of the last chapter of Revelation. Let me add that because I was familiar with biblical poetry, I knew beforehand where to look for further information. I knew, for example, that the beginning would be repeated at the end. The same is true for all three of the first three chapters, as I will demonstrate in this podcast. The parallelism will prove it is no accident, thus establishing the letters to the seven churches as the primary theme of the book of Revelation. Though they are 22 chapters apart, you cannot completely understand one verse without the other. Parallelism ties the concepts together and expands the meaning. Notice, for example, because of the parallelism, I can combine Revelation 1-3, the first chapter of the book, with Revelation 22-18-19, the last chapter of the book. Combined, they are seamless. They appear inseparable. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Revelation 1, 3. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Revelation 22, 18-19 If I took away the references, you would assume that the verses were meant to be together, and they are meant to be read together, not necessarily by juxtaposition, but by the parallel relationship. Notice that the entire book of Revelation follows the pattern used in each of the seven letters. It contains a blessing if you keep the commandments and a cursing if you don't. The verse at the beginning of the first chapter contains the blessing. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein. The blessings refer to the promises given to the seven churches. Now notice the curses listed in the end of the book of Revelation. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, 
and from the things which are written in this book. The first curse refers to the plagues mentioned in chapter 21 that describe the time just before the coming of Christ. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. The second curse is worse because it effectively says that all the promises given to the seven churches will be taken away if we do not endure to the end. See what I mean by the seven letters being the key to understanding the book of Revelation. Another unique feature of the two verses at the end of the book of Revelation is that they are referring exclusively to the book of Revelation. Notice the imagery in all three verses. 1. That hear the words of this prophecy. 2. And keep those things which are written therein. 3. Every man that heareth the word of the prophecy of this book. 4. God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. 5. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy. 6. God shall take away from the things which are written in this book. What does this book refer to? It refers only to the book of Revelation. The blessing and cursing are only addressed to those who add or take away from the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is intended to stand alone. All commandments carry both a blessing if obeyed and a curse if disobeyed, whether implicit or explicit. The book of Revelation is being protected. It is the only book in all of Scripture that carries that curse as to the specific language of the book or the extended poem. The book of Revelation is a special book and deserves special attention. One wonders if it is not the key to the entire Bible. Perhaps the skeptic could say that the parallel relationship is coincidental. My answer would be that great poets do not work by accident. But I shall offer further proof. I shall move freely back and forth between the first three chapters and the last three or four chapters to illustrate the uses of parallelism. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now let's look at verse 16 of chapter 22. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you the things in the churches. We can see, then, that the entire book of Revelation is centered around the seven churches. Seven means wholeness, or completeness, or holiness. Therefore, the seven churches do not refer to buildings, but to the church of Christ as a single unit. In other words, all the promises apply to all the saints, past and present. Parallelism not only ties the entire poem together, but it also ties units inside the poem together. For example, notice the use of parallelism surrounding the seven churches in the first three chapters. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice, as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Revelation 1, 10-11 Chapters 2 and 3 list each church and give detailed descriptions of their strength and weaknesses. They list the curses if they don't repent and blessings if they do. With that in mind, 
Let's take other concepts introduced in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation and show how their meaning is emphasized, clarified, and explained in the last four chapters. A good place to start is with the titles of Christ. In chapter 1, John writes, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. In chapter 22, John writes, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. When studying parallelism, look at both the similarities which establishes emphasis and the differences which expands meaning. The verses above are almost exactly alike, but each has a unique phrase. The first has, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. The second has, the first and the last. It leaves no ambiguity. Podcast 45 will deal exclusively with the titles of Christ found in the book of Revelation. Now let's look at the description of Christ. To me, this is the most vivid description of Christ in all of Holy Writ. In chapter 1, John writes, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. The similarities of the description of Christ in the beginning and ending of the book of Revelation are striking enough, but the differences are startling. And when juxtaposed, the contrast is even more poignant. Let's look at the same description in chapter 19. His eyes were as the flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he could smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The first description parallels the benign description Paul gave of the risen Lord. The second description, however, his vesture is dipped in blood and he declares himself King of kings and Lord of lords, after which he reigns on earth for a thousand years. The picture is complete only when we read both descriptions together. We could expand our examples, but for economy's sake, I would like to focus on the promises to the seven churches. The detailed descriptions are in chapters 2 and 3. The extended descriptions of the blessings are in the last four chapters. Number 1. The Church of Ephesus To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Chapter 2 The image is expanded in chapter 22. And he shewed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruits every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. 
and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign for ever and ever. Number two, the church of Smyrna. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. Chapter 2. The image is expanded in chapter 20. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The description is continued in chapter 21, which expands the curses introduced in the letters to the seven churches. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. One of the promises to the seven churches was that they would not be hurt by the second death if they endured to the end. Number three, the church of Pergamos. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Chapter two. Many biblical scholars suggest that the word white, as used above, is from the word leukos which means brilliant or bright. It is translucent like a diamond. There's an intriguing reference in Revelation 4 that relates to the white stone. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. The four beasts full of eyes before and behind represent omniscience. They see everything. The sea of glass represents a crystal that reveals everything. The white stone on which a new name is written is given to all those who live with Christ in the celestial city. It is the key to all knowledge, or omniscience. The new name written also has its parallel in the book of Revelation chapter 19 when speaking of Christ. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Revelation 19:12 The image is extended in Revelation 21 And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and shewed me the great city the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious even like a jasper stone clear as crystal and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Number four, the church of Thyatira. And he that overcometh, and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father, and I will give him the morning star. Chapter 3 In chapter 22 we learn what the morning star is. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, 
and the bright and morning star. As you can see, the seven letters are not complete without reading the entire book of Revelation. Parallelism unites concepts together. The Hebrews did not use captions, headings, divisions, and punctuation as we do in English. They used parallelism to mark relationships. Number five, the church of Sardis. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Chapter 3 As we have learned to expect, we only have to go to the end of the book of Revelation to receive clarification of the promise. Let's turn to chapter 20. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The meaning is extended in chapter 21. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. As you can see, both the blessings and the curses listed in the letters to the seven churches are elaborated on at the end of the book. The 22 chapters of the book of Revelation comprise one complete poem and are meant to be read as a whole, probably meant to be memorized. Number six, the church of Philadelphia. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Again, we turn to the end of the book, to chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Number seven, the church of Laodicea. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Chapter three. Again, we turn to the end of the book of Revelation. Chapter 19. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. 
And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Also in chapter 19, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And furthermore, in chapter 22, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Of course, in a brief podcast, I cannot possibly do justice to one of the greatest poems ever written, the book of Revelation. Obviously, one reason the prophets chose the poetic structure is because it elevates the language. It lends grace, beauty, clarity, economy, emphasis, richness, and music to language. How else can you marshal the power of language except through the powers of poetry? Perfect order marks everything that God does. And only in poetry can one provide the dignity necessary to express the mind of God. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.